You're listening to This and That, a podcast series by me, Angus Mitchell, where I'll be talking to students and past students like everything about their dissertation. On this episode, I'll be joined by Lucinda Fenny, the title of her PhD thesis being The Representation of the Second World War in Polish Cinema, 1945 to 1970, Directors, the State and the Construction of Memory. We've had to try and cram 100,000 words. So you've written 100,000 words? Yeah, or just under, 99,900-something. Wow. So I had to... I now, feel, I now feel like an idiot that I'm complaining about a 10,000-word dissertation. <laughs> you know, are we going for your doctoral, um, your PhD, or are we well, going for one of the earlier ones? It's up to you, completely. It, it, may, it makes... It's, it's probably the most kind of in the forefront in, of my mind. And I just, just had a complete meltdown. And it was so bad that she actually communicated with me in English because... Oh. I was just so kind of stressed out about it. Uh, yeah. I just Where are came... your computers? <laughs> I'm going to be careful on my terminology here. But the first film about a concentration camp was Polish. And it was really? made by a woman who had been a prisoner at Auschwitz. Wow. You're listening to Dis and That. Hello and welcome back to This and That. I'm today joined by Lucy. Lucy, how are you? I'm very well, thanks. Um, Lucy, do you want to tell us a bit about yourself? I am, or have just finished, a doctorate um, at Oxford University um, in the History Department. And I'm also currently an outreach officer for Next Step Southwest. I did my, my first degree in history at University of Reading, and then I did my master's degree in Central and Eastern European Studies at the Jagiellonian University in Krakow. Your Krakow story is so, so cool. And I'm sure, hopefully we'll talk about that a little bit, but of course this yeah. is this and that, where we talk about your dissertation. You've already mentioned that you've done three, basically, for anyone that can read between yeah. the lines. You've done your undergrad at Reading, your yeah. um, master's, that's correct, right, at, in yeah. Poland, and yeah. your PhD doctoral at Oxford, yeah. mic, mic drop. Yeah. <laughs> and um, am I right in saying that today we're going for the big one? We're going for the big dog. We're going to the deep yeah. end. We're going to hear yeah. all about your doctoral that you, you, you're doing at Oxford. Yes, yeah. All right, are you, yeah, are you yeah, ready? Do we, do we just go for it? Should we go for it? Yep. Yeah. Right, let's dive in. Title, let's dive in. Okay, so the title is the representation of the Second World War in Polish cinema, 1945 to 1970, directors, the state, and the construction of memory. Boom. See, this is the thing with dissertation titles. It's, they have to be so niche, don't they? And I can imagine yeah. with a doctoral, is it, am I saying that right? Is it a doctoral? doctoral? It's a, yeah, doctoral thesis, yeah. A doctoral thesis, yeah. Um, I can imagine, does that have to be as niche as it comes, basically? Um, yes, yes, Jen. So the way, it, uh, certainly at Oxford anyway, the way um, that something sort of can be classified as a doctoral thesis is it either has to um, research something completely different than no one's ever done before, or it has to provide a slightly different approach or a, or a different spin on an existing topic. Um, so yeah, that means that they can be very, very niche and very small. Mine actually, I suppose, compared to some, is quite a big uh, subject. So for a start, the time frame is quite long. So doing sort of 25 years is a, is a big period of time for a doctoral dissertation. Um, and also the fact that uh, the war film genre in Poland is huge. 
So in some respects, I suppose mine's perhaps not as niche as some you might you might find um, in the sense that it's quite it's actually quite a broad topic. But it's yeah. because I I chose to take the approach of slightly uh, changing the way that we look at the subject rather than doing something that nobody's ever done before. Would I be right in kind of paraphrasing that as kind of adding to historiography almost? Yeah, so you have to make the other sort of um, marker for a doctoral dissertation is you have to make a contribution to the subject. Um, no pressure. So, Mo modern yeah. history. <laughs> exactly, exactly. No pressure, but this might be something that students in however many years time use as a reference for their own work. Yeah, yeah, that's well, like I'm doing now, obviously, I'm doing my undergrad and the amount of actual theses that I theses that I look at yeah. theses that I look at. Um, it's actually I actually really enjoy looking at those versions rather than the big bulky books, because like mm. you said, um, although yours might not be that niche, although when you explained it to the first time, the first time I heard it, I was like, wow, that's niche. And then now actually how <laughs> you've broken it down, it makes sense that it is actually a huge topic. So I'm looking forward to yeah. getting into it. But yeah, these kind of theses that people produce are so valuable for the undergraduate. Um, I don't know where you'd begin as a doctor. I'm sort of we'll get into that with your resources that you've used. Um, yeah. But yeah, so, so there we go. You kind of explained the title. Yeah. Where do we begin? How do you get into this? That's a really, that's a really good question. Um, perhaps I suppose, and um, I might have to actually refer to my thesis to help, to help remind me of some of these things, because actually it's a very, it's a very broad, it's a very broad topic. Um, yeah. So I suppose maybe the best place to start is, well, I, I can start in one of two places. I can either start with why this particular subject in the first place, or what was I trying to achieve with my thesis? And um, I think I'll... we should go for the, the why, then what? Okay, so the why I get the why started with I developed an interest in Poland and Polish history actually quite a long time ago now. It, it doesn't seem that long ago. Um, so I spent my part of my gap year in Poland um, in 2006. Um, and while I was there, I went to, I was actually in the mountains, um, quite close to the Slovakian border, but I spent three days in Krakow and I um, went up to Auschwitz as well while I was there. And I was completely fascinated, completely fell in love with Krakow immediately, but also was completely fascinated by a history I knew very little about. Um, and so when I got to university, I was sort of expecting that I would learn a bit about Poland and this might satisfy the sort of curiosity I started to develop. Um, but it didn't really. Um, courses on that part of the world are not uh, numerous and they were non-existent um, as an undergrad. So I had to kind of choose my, I had to take, uh, develop the interest myself. And so I decided that I wanted to do my undergrad thesis on something to do with Poland during the Second World War. And um, I chose to write about uh, a massacre of um, Polish prisoners of war by the Soviets called the Katyn Massacre. And it just so happens that um, there was a film made in 2007 about the topic. And it's, it was made by um, Poland's most influential uh, director, Andrzej Wajda, who's father had actually been killed in the Katyn massacre. Um, so that was my introduction to the world of, of Andrzej Wajda and he um, 
the Second World War sort of defined his career really. Um, so I went away and um, I did a, uh, went and studied in Poland and um, actually didn't study much about cinema and because I didn't have a lot of Polish language at that stage, I had to write a master's thesis based on um, English language sources really, I, I didn't have, so walked away from cinema but couldn't ever quite sort of let it go and having had an interest in cinema all my life, I'd never really realised that you could do cinema and history, I sort of um, was indoctrinated in the traditional um, source material of pieces of paper, essentially. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I decided that I was quite interested in, um, so the sort of initial proposal was that Andrzej Wajda made a, a trilogy of war films in the 1950s um, called uh, A Generation, Canal and Ashes and Diamonds. And I noticed that there were quite a lot of similarities between the way he portrayed the war in that war trilogy to how he portrayed the war in Katyn. So I was sort of interested as to why. Um, and that's, that was actually what my initial proposal really was to, uh, for my doctorate. And once I arrived in Oxford, it became clear that it needed to be much broader than that. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, that's sort of, that's sort of where it all, that's where it all began so really. Do you think that film in 2007 that came out was a catalyst to your interest it's so interesting that isn't it that if do you think if that hadn't come out you wouldn't have really realized that there was so much to learn from it um no i don't i, don't, I genuinely don't think i would actually because on my masters there were no films about polish cinema um yeah so yeah i i would say that um that yeah that film Katyn has a lot to answer for yeah definitely and it's, it, a, great, so, it's, it's a great film it's a great film um anyway it. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Would would recommend a it. A bit harrowing, um, I guess. Oh yeah, yes, but actually, in a lot of ways, um, not as um, harrowing as as a sort of Hollywood take. I was quite grateful actually that sort of he got to the subject first. So there was a trilogy that came out in the fifties, yeah, and then yeah. one that came out in two thousand seven. But yeah. was so but they're very similar. It been in a lot of ways in terms of. Um, the level of violence they show, um, it, they're very similar. Okay, okay. So we've, uh, so, okay, I, know, so I see where we're at now. I can see why you're interested in this and the, the yeah. build up, years and years of build up, really. So yeah. you're finally at Oxford. Would you say yeah. a bit more comprehensive with Polish? Now you've studied out there. Yeah. Um, don't have to um, throw away these kind of primary sources, which are so important yeah. for such an, a thesis like yourself, uh, yeah. like yours. Um, so we're at Oxford. So what? We're at the what now. What did you yeah. do? <laughs> so the, the my first year was was largely in preparation for spending a whole second year in Poland. So it meant that I had to have a relatively good idea of um, what I was going to be looking for once I went and did my um, primary research. So um, I spent most. So at Oxford, we have to a pass an, an oral exam at the end of our first year. Basically, they have to check that you haven't, you aren't doing something that isn't possible or, and things like that. So you sort of spend the year preparing for that. So it's most, for me, it was watching a lot of films um, because obviously for me, they're the most important piece of source material. Um, but it was also becoming aware of the secondary literature that, that was already available. Um, mostly in this point, at this point in English, um, because although Oxford has 
absolutely brilliant um, library facilities. Um, it, it doesn't have as many books in Polish as, um, as somewhere like, you know, UCL, which has a whole sort of Slavonic library. Um, so it was mostly doing, becoming aware of what, what was out there already, what literature existed already, so that I could work out where my work was going to fit into, into the literature that exists already. Um, so that's essentially what I spent year one doing um, and identifying the films that I wanted to, well, my thesis is actually um, structured around individuals. So um, instead of taking a sort of thematic approach, which lots of people do, my real interest in the subject was the people. I was really interested in the directors that were working during this time, their stories, um, what, what they'd done during the war and how that might have influenced their work. So I also spent a lot of the first year identifying characters that I wanted to, um, to research. Um, and so I, I drew up a list and headed off to, to Poland. Yeah. A kind of unknown world of archives um, in Poland, which are, well, they're, they're an interesting experience. Let's, you became let's a bit of a detective, it. didn't you? You had your, yeah. you had your targets and then you had to go into the deep end all the way to Poland. And dis yeah. what did you discover? Um, so I discovered that they have a wonderful national film archive in Warsaw. Um, and the great thing about uh, researching a communist regime is they write everything down. So um, in this is, I suppose, where going into a little bit of detail about the Polish film industry might be helpful. Yeah, definitely. Um, because this is also part, so I, I did, um, although I was looking at the individuals and I was looking at the kind of image of the war uh, during this period, I also looked at the relationship between directors and the communist regime. So that was also a big part of my thesis. So um, the way the, the film industry worked in Poland is it, it was nationalized in 1945. Um, and uh, it was run initially by a director um, called Alexander Ford, who had uh, been a director in the in the interwar period. And then um, because he was Jewish, he'd escaped the Soviet Union and spent the war in the Soviet Union. And then he'd come back to Poland with um, the uh, Polish army formed in the Soviet Union. And he had seen um, the liberation of the Majdanek uh, death camp in Eastern Poland. And he'd actually made a documentary about it. He'd been there. Um, and yeah, so he, so he ran the film industry um, and it, there wasn't huge film output during, between 1948, 1949 and 1954, film output was quite low because the film industry was very centralized and um, uh, there was, uh, it was quite heavily state controlled and it just stifled productivity. So after the death in, of Stalin in 1953 and the sort of, the beginnings of a thaw, political thaw. Um, in 1955 in Poland, they created um, what were known as film units. So uh, each film unit was run by a direct, uh, an artistic director who was a direct film director, then a literary director who was an author. There was no such thing as a scriptwriter in Poland at this point. How, how did then, they do it then? Just 
freestyle. So they did write, people did write scripts, but it wasn't a profession. So you were, okay. you were a writer. So a lot of the people writing scripts were not, had, you know, written novels and things rather than yeah. scripts. Um, and then they had a production manager. And these film units, um, it meant the, the film industry was quite decentralized um, and was run by, the films were produced by these units. They came up with the ideas, uh, they financed them. And they sort of became little cooperatives really of kind of like-minded individuals. Um, and so each film before it was made had to go through a script assessment commission, which was, um, so it would be a mixture of film industry professionals and party sort of bureaucrats. And they would discuss the artistic and ideological merit of a film. And then it would go off and be made. And then it would come back for a film assessment commission. Uh, which would see the final product and, and again judge it on sort of similar criteria. So all of these meetings were written down. Um, they don't all exist anymore. It, it's a bit hate, they're very hazy on the details as to why yeah. they don't exist. This is the thing because you mentioned that because it's communist it's good because they write everything down but I don't know if this is just because of where I've grown up and the kind of everything you hear about communist Russia, you know, and um, kind yeah. of idea that you don't hear everything because it's communist, you know, cover everything yeah. up, nothing can go wrong. Um, but it's interesting to hear you say that they do write everything down. Yeah. Uh, were, you, yeah. were you about to explain what the haziness of it? Yeah, so it, it's just that the documents have been lost. So, and so it's unclear there was a, I heard a rumor there was a fire at the at the archives and so documents were lost. Um, I think also in some cases it's possible that instead of being at the film archive, they were at the state archives, but the state archives is quite chaotic. Um, if you've ever been, if anyone's ever been to the, the National Archives at Kew, it's sort of huge building and it's very organized and um, the the Polish state archives are nothing like that. <laughs> really? Um, yeah, their catalogues weren't digitized when I was there. You had to look through folders, like binders of, um, of uh, document descriptions. So you had to try and work out from a very brief description in another language if this was something that might be useful. Cool, you didn't make you. it easy for yourself, did you? No, <laughs> no it, it was funny actually, because one of my supervisors at the time, he, he um, studied German history and he just didn't believe that the archives were like this in Poland because really? they were so different in Germany. I can imagine the German archives were very, very good. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, there are lots of stories. If anybody who's worked in the state uh, state archives in, in Warsaw has a story to tell about. Um, I had a meltdown one day, feeling just, was feeling really unwell, was really stressed. And I was trying to communicate with uh, with one of the workers there who, her English, well, she claimed it wasn't great. And I just just had a complete meltdown. And it was so bad that she actually communicated with me in English because oh. I was just so kind of stressed out about it. Uh, yeah. I just Where are your computers? <laughs> yeah, I couldn't find, couldn't think of how to say it all in Polish. And so um, it turns out she did speak some English after all. Okay. Uh, it just took <laughs> I won't, I won't tell you, to, uh, was, it, was it nice English? Yeah, it was. It just okay. took a minor nervous breakdown to elicit it from her rather than yeah. forcing me to, to communicate in English. So no. um, so if we get back to your disc, so you've yeah. um, discovered, so there's this, what I was going to mention actually when you were on a roll, um, the death of Stalin, you mentioned, you used the word, the politics kind of thawed out a bit. Yeah. Um, so 
it went from centralization of the film industry yeah. to a decentralization. Was it a yeah. boom? You used the word Thor, so I assume not. Yeah. Or was it? It was. So, yeah, so the, the sort of thawing culture took a bit of time. It took about sort of, because it actually started very soon after the death of, of Stalin and then um, really took off in 1956 when, um, uh, in imposed so there was in 1956 um khrushchev who was stalin's replacement he published a secret speech that sort of denounced the crimes of stalinism and in poland um they had a new first secretary of the communist party called um Władysław gomulka and um he developed his own um his own form of communism it was known as national communism um, because communism by its nature is an international movement. It doesn't believe in nationalism. Um, but actually, Gomulka's communism had a very nationalist element to it, which is also relevant for cinema as well. Um, and so, yeah, there was a real... Um, so in the, the sort of the aftermath of that, what really happened in Poland in terms of the film industry is there was a kind of a changing of the guard. So those who'd made films in the sort of immediate post-war years had all been directors before the war and were all communist actually as well um and so they were sort of they were quite willing really to um sort of portray a communist or um socialist um narrative because they believed in it themselves and what happened in 1956 is you had a whole new wave of directors who emerged from um, the film school in Łódź, which uh, was opened in 1948. And Łódź became the, the sort of center of the film, and it still is, but it, it became the center of the film industry in Poland because Warsaw had been destroyed. And so they needed somewhere um, and Łódź wasn't quite so bad. So um, that's where it went. So yeah, you had this whole new group of filmmakers who emerged from the, the film school and who were much more influenced by European, Western European cinema. So sort of Italian neorealism and things like that, that they'd been shown surreptitiously while at film school. And so they were not interested in the sort of aesthetics of their predecessors. And um, so you had what was known as the Polish school film movement, which was one of the first actually kind of national film movements. Um, and these directors were very interested in sort of the fate of the individual, how individuals negotiated history, and particularly the Second World War. It was a huge topic for them. And um, they each represented sort of different artistic trends within the Polish school, but all of them were fascinated by the war. Um, and some of the, the most significant artistic products of Polish cinema were made between 1956 and 1960. And well, that's fascinating, actually, that this kind of new wave came from these young guns that obviously weren't, I don't, I'm going to be careful with my language, indoctrinated by the kind of communist regime beforehand. I don't know if that's the correct wording of it, but it kind of yeah. a fresh, a fresh take on society, I guess, post-World yeah. War II. Um, and so these you mentioned about the um going through the um screenings uh so mm -hmm. is, is do these guys that were producing these films did they have to go through the screening process or did they or was am i getting a bit confused with that no so they no they they were didn't have to be to be screened by anybody if that's what you meant to become directors 
The, or um, do you mean that film's the, being screened? The film's being screened, yeah. Yeah, no, yeah, they have, so the, the, this process of having the script and the, and the final film assessed carries on until 1989. Okay. Um, but it wasn't so, limiting yeah. these, these films from getting through, that's what I'm trying to say. No, no so, the, so the sort of interesting part of my thesis actually was, dis was discovering that certainly on the topic of the Second World War, I can't necessarily expand it out further, but certainly in terms of the topic of the Second World War, there was a remarkable amount of latitude permitted. Um, so there were topics that were completely off limits. This was never written anywhere, but the, the sense you get is that they were completely off limits. So that was anything to do with the Soviet invasion of Poland, um, the Soviet occupation of Poland and Soviet crimes against the Polish people, because as far as the Soviet Union were concerned, they didn't invade Poland. So those subjects were completely off limits. So there was actually a whole section of, of Polish society who never saw their own experiences reflected in cinema. Wow. Um, but other than that, um, there was, they were allowed a great deal of latitude. And I came up with various theories as to why that might've been the case. Yeah. Um, I think one of them is that they were trying, the communist regime were trying to keep directors in Poland. Um, so the most notable emigre is Roman Polanski, who was in fact a contemporary of Andrzej Wajda and acted in Wajda's first film. Um, but he, le he left Poland, but emigration wasn't hugely common. Um, and so I think they were, because they were trying to keep directors in Poland, um, there, there was a certain amount of compromise. Didn't want to be too strict. Yeah, because yeah. otherwise they just go to the West. Exactly. Um, the other thing that was perhaps more interesting is that um, this is where the film units came in. So the film units, um, the, the people who were running them, so the artistic and literary directors were often members of the Communist Party, not necessarily hugely, they were, that doesn't mean that they were hugely ideologically communist, but they, but they were members. And uh, it's not always the case. And it certainly, interestingly, was never the case that you had to be a Communist Party member to get into one of these film units. It was, that certainly never seems to be the case. But what was quite interesting is when you look at the script and film assessment meetings, quite often, the, particularly the artistic director would stand up for the director's choices. So um, there was a particularly notable literary director whose name was Tadeusz Kunbicki. And he was a, he's a very, very prominent Polish author, or was, I should say. And he was the literary director of the most important film unit called Kada. And he numerous times could be found when, you know, when, the, when a, a, a bureaucrat questioned a particular wording or phrase or theme or something like that he would stand up for the directors and he would you know he would say we think it's brilliant we completely agree um and so i think that i think a lot of the times the film units sort of protected non-communist party members okay um and, and the other the other thing is that quite some of the directors developed um friendships or working relationships I suppose with prominent party members and they also seem to be and that Vida was a particularly good example of this 
And so they also seem to sort of help pave the way for films that were slightly more controversial. And Vida made a, a particularly controversial film in 1958. Um, that, yeah, that sort of these party members would pave the way for these films to be made. Because of their leniency, basically. Yeah, I think essentially, and because of just personal connection. So, yeah. you know, they, because that they respect. respected. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that they. And, um, and, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, and I think they they sort of felt that their work needed to be seen, essentially. Yeah, and in terms of um, leniency and paving the way and controversy, did many get made? You know, you said that there was that really strict rule against um, portraying Soviet invasion of Poland. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How did we get anywhere near that with the films that came out? Uh, when it turned no. to lean, nowhere near that. No. That was no, complete. People didn't even try. People didn't even try and make them. So, in terms of um, leniency, then, what are we talking about? Um, what kind of themes would be kind of on the cuff, maybe get away with? Okay. So, let, let's give you the example of probably the one that comes as the greatest surprise to how on earth it got made. Okay. <laughs> so, in 1958, Vida made what is one of the greatest Polish films of all time. And I would recommend everybody cool. goes and watches it. I think it's on Amazon Prime. So it's a film called Ashes and Diamonds. And it is an adaptation of a novel of the same name um, by an author called Jerzy um, Andrzejewski. And it tells the story of a young, so in um, po Poland had a very well-developed underground state and it had uh, an underground, uh, and it, so there was a Polish government in exile in London, and those that remained loyal to them in Poland, the sort of underground fighters were known as the Home Army. Um, and it was, it was the Home Army that fought in the Warsaw Uprising in 1944, or predominantly anyway. Um, so the film is about, but they were very controversial figures after the war, um, and were quite often persecuted by the communist regime. So Ashes and Diamonds is about a young, uh, it's set on the last day of the war, and it's about a young home army soldier who assassinates a communist, um, a man, a communist who's coming in to take over the town. Um, I can now see, it's kind of telling me what now why that's, yeah, how the hell yeah. did that get through, yeah. And he, the, the young home army fighter was, is played by an actor who was known as the Polish James Dean. He was very charismatic popular and um and he's brilliant absolutely brilliant in, in this role and he he isn't sure that he wants to go through with it he sort of has a feeling that he's lived out the war does he really want more trouble um he falls in love within the space of a day um but in the end he realizes that duty duty weighs out in the end and he he murders this this man at the end of the film and um yeah so is it complete fiction or um that's a very uh that's a very good question um yes i think so um so i guess uh, that, that might add to why it got through a little bit you know if it was i mean that doesn't mean to say that these things probably did happen didn't happen I mean, yeah yeah um yeah the sort of poland in 1945 may 1945 was a bit like the wild west because um, you had various groups operating. There was a sort of civil war that went on in Eastern Poland um, up till 1947 between sort of remnants of um, the Polish underground, underground forces and um, the Ukrainian insurgent army and communist forces. So 
yeah so bit of a mess <laughs> yeah yes yeah, so, yeah I absolutely was so yeah so that's probably the most controversial film yeah because it does feel it it feels obviously um it kind of is touching on the fact that the Soviet Union did were there and their influence and maybe how they were viewed and I I, I can see how it's not exactly the crossing the line of just depicting it but yeah. it's more per, a more personal story do you think the fact they're focused on um, the director focused on the one guy rather than kind of not good versus evil but kind of one man's torments of what he should do and with yeah. love involved and everything it kind of overshadowed the idea that this was was it anti-Soviet or um it was anti-communist I would say rather than anti-Soviet okay. because he was a the the sort of character that gets murdered is a Polish communist not a um, not a Soviet one but he okay. represent but he represents the system you know he represents the system, system yeah yeah um really interesting uh, he's quite humanized as a character interestingly enough he's not a sort of caricature he he's given a, a sort of sad backstory the guy that's um, murdered sorry the guy that's assassinated yeah, yeah okay yeah so he he has he's given a sad backstory and he actually sort of um has a conversation with the man who murders him beforehand oh, so wow. It, so it's it's sort of a little bit more nuanced, but it mm. it doesn't that sort of doesn't really matter either at the end of the day. Um, yeah, still very know, controversial. Fact, yeah, yeah, exactly. The whole sort of that you have this this home army fighter as the sort of hero of the story is is kind of enough controversy in itself. They, yeah. I mean, they'd been sort of rehabilitated by 1958, but were still a sort of problematic group um, for the communist government. Yeah. So th this is a clear example of a friendly bureaucrat getting this through, really. Um, yeah. So, yeah, well, it, it's, it got through because of two reasons, really. Um, number one, because it was when it was initially um, sort of suggested. So the script assessment was during a time of quite a lot of um, lenient. It, it was a time when quite a lot of films were getting through and there wasn't as much. Um, and so, and the other thing is that the writer of the novel was a member of the communist party and, and at that time was still quite in favor. And he approved of the project right from the beginning and he approved of the film and he approved of the way it was done. So he organized a screening for some of his sort of party colleagues beforehand um to again sort of pave the way um and so yeah so that that's really how it a lot of had, factors it's, went into it's it. still a bit of a surprise yeah. um it, that it that it had there's still a little element of mystery about it as to really how on earth it happened that's quite um, special though yeah but but certainly those sort of things are probably are probably the main reason why that's fascinating. So did you use this? Obviously, we've used it in this discussion as a bit of a case study for what is a huge thesis. Um, yeah. And I think if we get back to the kind of backbone of what your thesis was on, um, if we so we've you've spoken a bit about the emergence of the cinema, the new the kind of new wave. Would that be the right way of saying it? After the death of Stalin, um, yeah. the new the new um, the film. Um, Polish school you... is what it's known as. OK. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, and then the kind of decentralization of the film industry. And then these films came out in the late 50s. And then so is, does your thesis kind of now go chronologically with all the way to was it the 70s as far as it... Internet to 1970. Yeah. So it so it 
because of the way I divided it into looking at specific directors, the sort of the chapters go chronologically because I, I tend to take a number of films through their career or at, during that period. Um, but the, the sort of the political landscape changes again in 1960. And as a result, the film landscape changes very slightly. Um, the film units remain the same um, until 1967, but certainly the, the beginning of the 60s. But uh, in 1960, um, the, the Central Committee of the Communist Party, um, they um, write a resolution basically sort of condemning the cinema of the late 50s. Um, and in particular, the war cinema. Um, and they try very hard to um, encourage filmmakers to present the war through the prism of their own national communism. So I'm, I talked a bit about national communism before. Yeah. A key element of national communism is the wartime experience. Um, and it has these sort of three key strands. It's very anti-German. It's very um, pro Red Army and sort of the relation, the friendship between the Polish and the Red Army and the prominence of the communist resistance. And so though these are sort of, and, and the unity and um, the kind of myth of unity so that all of Poland fought together during the war. Okay. To defeat the Nazi fascist aggressor. Yeah. And so they tried very hard to kind of, they see cinema as, as a sort of hugely important way of disseminating this kind of view of the war to the masses, especially by 1960, you're starting to get a generation of film goers who didn't live through the war. Yeah. So, so it's That's a, a huge factor. Yeah. Yeah. The audience landscape has changed. And so while interestingly, the Polish school directors remain resolute and they don't, they don't follow this path at all. But you do get a, a small group of filmmakers who emerge, who very much provoke, promote this image. And what you get then is films that we would perhaps recognize a bit more because they are similar to the kind of British, American and Soviet epic. War We're all epic. in this together against the evil yeah. Nazis. Yeah, absolutely. And very battle heavy not a huge amount of personal kind of narrative and individual stories, but a sort of more collective, um, you know, so you're, you have a whole unit rather than just one person. And, um, and so these become a sort of feature. So you get a lot more of them in the, in the 1960s. They didn't exist before then really in Poland. Um, but there's really only one director who sticks to this the whole way through this period, uh, a director called Jerzy Passendorfer. And he was sort of known as Gamulka's filmmaker um, because he, he really promoted these ideas in his films. Um, the other directors, interestingly enough, they're a husband and wife team. And- Works for um, some. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And actually, interestingly, there are two female directors in Poland during this period. So they sort of set the way a bit. Okay. Um, but they, their films, they do, they do sort of promote, uh, they were both members of the Communist Party. They were, they were both, um, this is where the sort of personal stories are quite relevant here. They were both saved from imminent death by the Red Army. And so they were very well disposed towards the Red Army in the Soviet Union. 
Yeah. And so actually they they portray sort of this side of the war willingly. It's not really a because you know, of their personal experience. Yeah, exactly. Because yeah, they as far as they were concerned, they saved their lives. And so um so yeah, so what's really interesting is that they try the, the Communist Party try very hard to change the narrative on the war and they try very hard to have films that reflect their own ideology but they aren't really successful in doing so no um the polish school sort of or not just the pope but directors from sort of outside of that still really dominate and they aren't able and they don't really crack down on it either so they don't sort of say well if your film doesn't follow our rules we're not we're is not that, making it. Is that kind of again, like in the fifties, the worry that the filmmakers will just leave, you know, due I think to restrictions? So, yeah. I think, and I think it's also realizing that sort of once you've let the cat out of the, you know, it's or once too late. The horse, yeah. Yeah. Once the horse has bolted, it's quite hard. It's no point in shutting the door. Definitely. So, yeah. Well, you can imagine I, I, a filmmaker in the sixties looking at Ashes and Diamonds and and then being told that they can't do anything along those lines and have to be far more nationalistic, you know, all of this yeah. together against. You can see, hang on, but look at this brilliant film. I want to do something like yeah. that. You can see yeah. why that by that point the restrictions, it's too late, basically. Yeah. Yeah, but absolutely. 70s come around. Yeah. And did you so, stop at the end of the 60s or did you Yeah, I stopped. I stopped okay. in 1970. So that there's sort of so 1967, 1968 is sort of a key moment in Polish history because there's a very um, nasty anti-Semitic campaign that goes on during this period. And, and it's a, as a result of infighting within the Communist Party, but um, it ends up with um, thousands of Jews emigrating from Poland and sort of ultimately effect, effectively ending Jewish life in Poland until, well, fairly recently. Wow. And a lot of filmmakers were Jewish. Um, so Alexander Ford, who I mentioned at the beginning, who headed the Polish film industry in 1945, he was Jewish. So he left um, Poland then. And that it also had an effect on the film unit. So their, their composition changed and they didn't really reappear in the same way until the 70s. Um, so that was sort of... But the, End of the, an the, era almost. Yeah, um, but they're, they're sort of two or three main reasons why I stopped in 1970. Number one, there's a regime change in 1970. So um, Gomulka is replaced by Edward Gierek and he did not have the same relationship with um, cinema that Gomulka did. So it wasn't sort of seen as a hugely important medium anymore. Television was starting to become the sort of dominant um, cultural medium in Poland rather than cinema. So yes, as technology changes as well, people yeah, now have had yeah, television in their absolutely. homes. Yeah. Um, the other sort of reason is that um, the sort of relationship of the state to the war also changed because Gierek didn't see it as a hugely sort of defining feature of, um, of Polish society and kind of national communism. And also the, there were two things that happened. So first of all, um, there was a reconciliation treaty signed between Poland and West Germany. In 1970, which so that that element of um, Germanophobia that I talked about before, that sort of went. Okay. Um, and the other thing is that in um, the 1970, there were riots at um, the dockyards in uh, Gdansk, and the Polish army were called in to put down the riots, and they shot and killed uh, Polish 
rioting workers. Okay, so the so Polish they weren't very army, popular. Exactly. So the Polish army that, again, had been such a hugely dominant sort of feature of war films in the 60s were now, you know, slightly much more yeah, ambivalent figures. And they'd also taken part in the invasion of Czechos of um, the Warsaw Pact invasion of Czechoslovakia as well in 1968. So the sort of virtuous Polish army image was a little bit in tatters. Mm. Um, so it seemed a very good point to stop, really. Because if because... you didn't stop there, then it would be double the length. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I said, yeah, I had to stop somewhere, but 1970 was a very good sort of natural uh, A lot of end things happened that changed yeah. the themes of cinema. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, the land, the landscape very much changed in 1970. So that is where I stopped. Well, that is absolutely fascinating. And it, I know it's so it's so hard because we could literally talk about this all evening, you know, and I know we, yeah. we can't. So we need to we need to make sure that we do <laughs> summarize what we have been discussing because it has been fascinating. It's been heavy at times, but also I think although it is, it's a PhD thesis, you know, it's going to be hard to, to get your head around, but I think I've managed to do an all right job. Um, and it's really great, Lucy, because I've been there, you know, while you've been doing it and I'd every now and then we'd have a cup of tea together um, and you'd tell me a little bit about it. And I was probably, I probably had no idea, but now, you know, I'm in the academic world a bit more, you know, I, I can kind yeah. of get to grips with, with a bit more of the themes that you're talking about, probably still miles off, but um, I, I've really enjoyed this and it's so great to, finally understand what your what your PhD is all about and understand why you're so passionate about it you know it was so great yeah. at the beginning of this podcast that you explained like the kind of journey from that kind of initial excitement that you got from from um Poland basically and the history from that trip and you know and, and realizing you didn't know about your your Polish history and you wanted to know more and then the film came and you know it's just like rolling 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 yeah. and then and then you're finally here doing your your thesis on on such a well I've now learned not a niche subject a huge <laughs> subject you know yeah um and um I'm very much looking forward to watching Ashes and Diamonds that sounds yeah. you haven't you haven't given it away too much you know I mean, no, you, I mean tempted me enough yeah, I mean, yeah, the, the, the overarching kind of my, I used to say this to everybody when they asked me about kind of what were Polish war films about, my, my answer was always everyone dies in the end, <laughs> is, a, is a fairly good kind of description. Um, so yeah, it, it, there's a lot of depressing, it, they're very, if you've grown up in the British and American tradition of war films, yeah, Polish war Be films ready are for a so depressing, yeah. yeah. Okay, well, That's I said I was really say. excited to look, watch it. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe not anymore. It, no, I definitely no, won't. No, it's a, it's a, a beautiful and the thing artistic kind of film, I'm guessing. Yeah, it's a beautiful artistic film. The story is brilliant. It brings in a lot of elements of, of Polish history. Um, and there are actually some really important films that came out of Poland during that time. And this is something that I'm also very passionate about because, you know, we know a lot about Western cinema, Western European cinema. Um, a lot of people watch, um, you know, Roberto Rossellini's Rome Open City um, and things like that. But there are some, um, the for example, the first Holocaust, well, I'm gonna be careful on my terminology here, but the first film about a concentration camp was Polish. And it was really? made by a woman who had been a prisoner at Auschwitz. Wow, what was and the name of that film? Uh, it's a film called The Last Stage, and it's about women. It's about women's resistance uh, in Auschwitz. It doesn't actually the so um, the director was wasn't Jewish. She was uh, a Polish communist, and that's why she was arrested. 
So it heavily focuses on the sort of Polish political prisoner experience, um, experience and the, the left wing resistance in Auschwitz. But obviously the Holocaust is going is going on in the background and that's not ignored by any stretch of the imagination. So no. calling it a Holocaust film is slightly disingenuous, but um, about the period it, and the, exper yeah, the experience it, of some. It, and it was made in 1948. Bloody hell. So actually on in the camp itself. What? There aren't many films that were made in the camp because they stopped no. allowing them. But, um, but this was actually filmed um, on site and they used former prisoners as extras. That's amazing. Well, amazing feels like the wrong word, but kind of breathtaking that that was done. And I think I can see now why you are passionate about because, you know, we do not know about these things, you know, these unbelievable films that have been made um, by Pol Polish women, you know, um, in the 40s. Yeah. That's just yeah. like, why don't we? Um, no, yeah. but honest, honestly, Lucy, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for lending me your time. Um, and I'm sure people That's are going right. to enjoy listening to this as much as I have. That's all right. It's been really lovely to chat to you about it, actually. Um, yeah, no, so. it's, been, it's been really good. All right, thanks, Al. Bye-bye. That's all right. Thanks no very much. Thanks very much, Lucy. That's all right. I'll all right, see, see you soon. Yep, yeah, see you. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to This and That.